0: Welcome to the podcast of Broadway Baptist Church in Lexington, Kentucky, and the preaching of Pastor Daniel Osborne, a biblical church centered on Christ. Church, it's great to be with you today. Uh, it's a little gloomy outside, but it's, the light is shining in the room. Amen? That's right. Jesus is light. Jesus has brought light to our life, and he has brought joy and life as a result of that. We've been talking about this week that this weekend with students obviously you can see that word light up there. I had a chance to teach three times, and we looked at the fact that Jesus is light. He is the light of the world. Uh, We looked at the fact that God's word serves as light to us, and then we also looked at how scripture shows us that we as God's people, as his ambassadors, are also light, and so that's sort of been the 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 thread of thought that we've walked through this weekend, um, and what I want to look at this morning is a passage of scripture that I think um, is right at the center and the heart of understanding who Jesus is and how He is indeed the light that all men really need. Before we get into that, though, I want to tell just a quick story about Zach. Um, Zach had a chance to share just about our background, and um, I remember. Uh, When I went to be the collegiate minister at the university that he was at, uh, they had just been through a year without any college minister there for their campus ministry. And there had been kind of a rough transition um, with someone who had been there for a long period of time. And that person transitioning out and the ministry kind of struggled and suffered with an interim for that year. And I was brought in, and Zach was not there for the summer. I came on the job at the beginning of the summer, so I had a chance to kind of get to know and work with some of the students who were there for the summer session, but Zach was not one of those, and so Zach came into my office right at the beginning of the semester there around early August, and he said, hey, I'm Zach. You probably know who I am. I did. I had already heard lots of stories about Zach. Um, He had just finished his freshman year. And he said, Hey, you know, I've heard really good things about, you know, from the others about how things are going these last few months. And I just want to let you know that I'm probably leaving at the end of this year. And in my, I mean, really, I think in my mind, I thought to myself, and I really don't think it was mostly from the Lord. I think it was probably out of just sheer arrogance at that point in my life that I thought, we'll see. I think he's going to like it and maybe he'll stick around. Um, But uh, I said, okay, okay, that sounds good. Well, I hope this will be a good year and a fruitful year for us. And um, it was in December, didn't even take the whole year. It was in December that he came into my office and said, hey, I've been talking to my dad. I've been talking to some others. And um, anyways, I feel like maybe it's the right thing for me to go ahead and stick around at USAO. Um, If you know Zach, you would know that a lot of that decision revolved around the fact that it costs less money. To stay at OB, at USAO than it did to go to OBU, um, not that there isn't wisdom in that, but what happened was Zach became such a such an influential and important part of God's work on that campus, and God just began to work in his life, and he began to flourish, and not only growing in his own faith, but also in being an impact on that campus, and had a significant ministry just as a student in that place, and um, uh, and he was a part of just a time of vibrant and healthy ministry there through our BCM and our impact on our campus. And I'm just so proud of him. I'm just so proud of his life. I'm proud of his priorities, his commitment to the Lord. Um, I'm proud that he's been able to come and serve your church. And um, it fills my heart with great joy to see as he brought these students up and even as you honor the ministry of student work here and the, and the students. And um, I'm just so proud of him. I really am, and uh, I'm grateful for the chance to work with alongside him and and be a part of what he's doing here and serve with you. So um, I realize that I just use up about five minutes of my sermon time. I don't get that rollover minutes, all right? But I wanted to go ahead and take the time to go ahead and say that uh, to you and just to say to Zach um, how proud I am of you, man. Um, God God has done a great work in your life, and um, thank you for being faithful to the gospel, and... And so, yeah, uh, that being said, turn with me to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. Over the last few years of my life, this passage has become more and more and more meaningful to me in my Christian life. I think about it more and more. I, I really can't even hardly go a week without Matthew chapter 20 and the words that we're going to look at this morning coming to my mind and heart and starting to set the trajectory for my focus in my life, in my obedience and faithfulness to Jesus. Um, it's, not one of, it's one of those passages I think we know, but as we really sort of, I think, wrap our brains and our hearts around what it says, um, I hope that maybe we can see it in the kind of profound and powerful light. That I think scripture gives it to us. And so it starts in verse 20 and goes through verse 28. So let's read that, and then we're gonna briefly unpack it this morning. It says this Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, What do you want? And she said to him, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. And Jesus answered, "'You do not know what you are asking. "'Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink?' "'And they said to him, "'We are able.' "'And he said to them, "'You will drink my cup, "'but to sit at my right hand and at my left "'is not mine to grant, "'but it is for those for whom it has been prepared "'by my Father.'" "'And like we would expect, all the other brothers.'" "'And when the ten heard it, "'they were indignant at the two brothers.'" But Jesus takes a moment to teach them this. Jesus called them to him and said, "'You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve.'" and to give his life as a ransom for many. We see a picture in this passage of what greatness in the kingdom of God looks like and is all about. We really, we don't have a lot of time this morning, but it would, we, it would be valuable to look at the parable of the vineyard in, verses, in chapter 20, verses one through 16, and even the words right after that where it says that Jesus begins to tell them about the things he must suffer in a way we can't really understand everything he's saying in these verses without some of that context that comes before it. We just won't look at that uh, really extensively this morning. So we're just gonna start with verse 20. And what we see is this longing and desire for greatness in James and John, and even with their mother. And so they devise this plan by which they hope they can sort of like persuade Jesus to let James and John have a seat of honor have a seat of stature next to Jesus in his kingdom. You see, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem at this point. They know something big is about to happen. Jesus has already demonstrated that he has unbelievable power, unbelievable, remarkable power, the likes of which no human being has ever walked on the earth has ever had. He brings people back from the dead. He tells the weather what to do. He feeds 15,000 people with a Lunchable. He can do everything. And so as he begins to journey to Jerusalem, his followers, the disciples, the 12, know something big is coming. Something big is about to happen. And what do they say? We want to be front and center for this. We want to be right by Jesus as he claims victory from God and liberates us from the bondage and oppression of Rome. We want to be right beside him. They know something big is coming. Something big is about to happen. And they want to be next to Jesus. And they want to be honored. And they want to be respected. And they want stature in this kingdom that Jesus is coming to establish on the earth. And their mom wants that. Well, mom wouldn't want their kid to have that. So mom is probably an easy sell to try to help them this, with, this, uh, with this plan they've hatched. And so they go to Jesus and they request that they would sit on his right and his left. And, and Jesus says, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? In a way, Jesus almost hasn't shut the door on it, right? He's like, well, are you sure you're up to it? Their answer is, yes, we are. I liken their answer to the answer that our children would give us if we told them we're considering getting a dog, right? I went through this with my 11-year-old. A couple years ago, he said, Dad, I really want a dog. Now, I am not a pet person. We got a cat for my oldest, and then now here we are in the dog stage. And he said, Dad, I will pay for the dog myself. I will pay for his food. I will pay for his vet bills. I'm like, with what? with my allowance, like, I respected, like, the level of commitment and desire, and I think the sincerity in his heart, I think he had no idea how much it cost to take a dog to a vet, and he had no idea how much it cost to repair that messed up hip when that dog was, like, eight months old, but it's like, I'll do whatever it takes, right, I'll do whatever it takes, they don't know what they're really signing up for, but I'll do whatever it takes to have a pet. Same thing, I think, with James and John. We'll do whatever it takes. Are you sure? Well, let me explain what it's going to take first. No, we'll do it. And say, yeah, we can do it. And Jesus, of course, is trying to explain to them that to be great in the kingdom of God is, means accepting a cup, accepting a responsibility, accepting a calling that's really sacrificial, and difficult, and hard, as we're going to see. Of course, Jesus says, well, you will drink at my cup, but it is not my place to decide these things. It is my Father's place. And of course, the other disciples, driven by the same kind of selfish ambition, and pride, and arrogance, are like, what about us? We didn't even get a chance. And so you think about What Jesus is about to go do. You think about where Jesus' heart and mind are focused in these moments. And you think about the riffraff that he's having to deal with right now from his followers. And what they're arguing and fighting over. And Jesus takes advantage of this moment to teach them something central about who he is, what he has come to do, and how he calls us to live as his followers. And he says this, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Gentiles just being those who don't have the word of God, who do not follow God, unbelievers, so to speak. So you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. You might say it this way, they use people to elevate themselves. They use people and their position and their authority to elevate themselves. That's how the world works. He says in verse 26, but it shall not be so among you. But who would ever be great among you must be your servant. He says, listen, you want to be great? I'm going to tell you how to be great. It's not the way you think that we are great, but I'm going to tell you how to be great. And that is that instead of using people to elevate ourselves, we lower ourselves beneath others and we raise them up. The way the world works, we work the opposite way from that. We use people to elevate ourselves. In this world, but Jesus says, I've come to show us a different way, a better way. And that is the way of service. That is the way of being a slave. And that is to lower ourselves so that we can raise others up. And if that wasn't profound enough, look at what Jesus says here at the very end. Not just that he's called us to do that, but verse 28 that's what he does. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That is about as profound and remarkable a statement as we can find anywhere in the Bible. Think about what this says. This says that God, in Christ, coming to earth and about to do what he's about to do and going to the cross and dying, It is God saying, let me humble myself, let me lower myself below you, let me be your slave, humanity, and let me serve you and help you with something that you can't help yourself with. That is astounding if you stop and think about it, right? That God would say to us, mere mortals, (laughs) Dust of the earth, rebellious, defiant, sinful creatures. Let me be your slave and let me help you. But that's who Jesus is. And that's what he does. And he says, if you want to be great in my kingdom, then that's the way you live. I think that's a part of what really is at the heart of what's difficult. This cup is not an easy cup to bear. The cup of service, the cup of sacrifice on others' behalf. It's a worthy road. It's worth pursuing, but it's not easy and it's not comfortable. It's hard. It's worth it, but it's hard. So Jesus shows us here. This is the light, the light of the gospel that Jesus has come to do for us as our servant, as our slave, what we could not do for ourselves and to elevate us. And he calls us to do the same as his followers. I want to wrap it up with uh, just an illustration this morning. There's a famous... Children's poet wrote a series of books on poetry and um, children's stories named Shel Silverstein. And probably his most popular story that he ever told was a story called "The Giving Tree." I don't know if any of you are familiar with Shel Silverstein and "The Giving Tree" or not. Um, I remember my wife reading that with our children at one point. Um, I don't know whether Shel Silverstein is a believer. I, I doubt it. I don't know so. Uh, don't read more into this than in that way than, uh, than we should, but this story of the giving tree is such a powerful picture, and when I think about it, when I remember hearing it, I remember thinking, there's something absolutely Christian about it. And It's the story of this tree, and the tree's relationship with this young boy, and what you see is that this tree finds great joy in being able to give to the boy whatever it would need. In that moment. And so as it's young, the boy would come and he would see the tree and he would be hungry and he would say to the boy, here, eat some of the apples off of my tree. And the boy would eat the apples and he would be filled. Later on in life, the boy would come back to the the tree and he would spend time with the tree and, and the boy would talk about just how hot it was outside and just how sweaty he had become and how uncomfortable he was and the tree said here cool yourself in the shade of my branches and the boy would sit under the branches of the tree and he would be cooled by the shade of the tree eventually the boy had continued to grow up and a lot of the things that he needed to do was you know he would need money for he came to the tree and he talked about the things that he needed the things that he wanted And the tree said, well, why don't you take the apples that I have on my tree and go sell them? Help you have the money that you need to be able to have the things that you want. And the boy took all the apples and sold them and had the money that he needed to be able to get the things that he wanted at that point in his life. Later on, he had grown up and came back and talked to the tree about needing a house kind of reached adulthood, manhood, wanted to start a family, but he knew he would need a home. What am I going to do? And the tree said to him, why don't you cut down my branches and take the lumber, the wood from what I have, from the branches that I have, and build yourself a house. And the boy said, okay. And so the boy came and took the branches from the tree and took the lumber that he had gathered together and he and he built a house later on the boy came and said you know I just I'm overwhelmed with life and I'm overwhelmed with everything going on in my life and I would just love to get away from all of it and the tree said well why don't you take my trunk and carve it out and make it into a boat so that you can sail away and go to where you want to go so the boy cut down the trunk of the tree took the last thing that it seemed the tree had and made a boat, sailed away. Eventually, in his old age, he came back to the tree and he looked at the tree and he talked about some of the weariness he had at that point. And, uh, the tree didn't have anything left to give, it seemed, at that point, but he said, why don't you just sit down on my trunk and rest? And in his old age... This boy who had become a man, even an old man, sat down on the trunk of this tree and rested. That tree is Jesus, right? Gives of himself, pours out of himself for us. That is the picture of what it is for Jesus to live out, Matthew 20, to be a servant, to lower himself and to give of his life to raise us up and to give us what we need. In the same way he calls us to be the same kind of people. That you have not wasted your life. If you have put aside all the things in your mind you want to maybe accomplish in this life and say, how can I help serve others to find what they need, to raise them up, I just, I I read a story like that, I read that story, and I think to myself, it so resonates with the gospel, so resonates with the story that Jesus tells us in Matthew 20, what he calls us to. You know, James and John were being like the Gentiles. They come to Jesus, and they really wanted to use Jesus to elevate themselves, right? It's essentially what they were doing. If you read this story in the gospel of Mark, Peter Peter, I think maybe in some bitterness and resentment, I don't know, um, kind of like takes his shot by, by telling us, because really the gospel of Mark is Peter's gospel. And, uh, and he says that James and John say, Jesus, we want you to do whatever it is we tell you to do. Those are the words that they use. That's the picture of the Gentiles. Like, using Jesus to elevate themselves. Using Jesus to accomplish the things that they want out of life. And Jesus graciously, patiently, compassionately sees an opportunity to teach them that they've really kind of missed it about why he's here and what he calls them to be as his followers and what he calls us to be as his followers. Light. You want to be light? You want to live as Jesus calls us to live? Be a servant. Be a slave. Lower yourself. Put yourself in the position of being humiliated beneath others even so that you can raise them up and elevate them. Let's pray. God, it is a great marvel that this is who you are and this is who Christ is. We thank you for the good news that Jesus has come to serve because we wouldn't have life and we wouldn't have hope without it. And I pray this morning, God, that you would use your word just to exhort us challenge us, call us to be better servants of those around us. To not see people as a means to elevate ourselves, but as an opportunity for us to serve you and to elevate them. I pray that our hearts and minds would capture that this morning. I pray that we would go out and Seek to be obedient to that. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Go ahead and stand with with me if you would, church. The band is gonna lead us in a song of invitation, a song of response. You know, there's lots of ways to respond to the Lord. Certainly there's opportunity during a time like this for someone who's maybe never surrendered their life to Jesus, never understood the gospel, to respond in faith and surrender to the work of Jesus, uh, to follow him, to recognize their need for what he has done in his life, death, and resurrection. But it's also a great time for those of us who are believers to repent. Maybe as we've been together this morning, God stirred your heart about some things that need a change in your life. Maybe some very specific things that God has brought to your heart and your mind. Maybe some very specific relationships that need some change. Maybe it's just a general sense of some of those things. And maybe God hasn't shown you that. Maybe this is a time to ask him, God, what is it you want from me? It's time just for you to actually say, God, forgive me, I've been wrong. Help me change, I want to change. Use this time, brothers and sisters, not just casually sit and watch, but to respond in some way as God might call you to. Maybe that's through singing, maybe that's through prayer, whatever it is. I just encourage you to take advantage of this time as a time to respond to the Lord and do business with him this morning. David.